0: So COVID, as you know, has been hard, no surprise. For over two years, at different times, various times, various seasons, we've had to wear masks. We're still praying, by the way, that masks will be no longer a part of our Saturday gatherings. We're not there yet, but had to wear masks. We've had to get PCR tests. You young people have had to go to school online. We've been doing church by live stream. We've had to have home groups by Zoom, so lots of difficulties with Zoom. With Zoom, not with with Zoom, but lots of difficulties with COVID, and this has impacted us uh, in some good ways, and also in some not so good ways. Let me mention one way it's impacted us that is not so good, and it's in our understanding of church, what church is. And there's always been a temptation to think that church is something that you can do. You know, you head out to the desert when it's cooler like now, or you head out to Saadiyat Beach, just kind of me and Jesus, or maybe watching your favorite television preacher or internet preacher. There's always been the temptation to think that that's church, but that temptation has grown because of COVID because for months, church was limited to Zoom and live stream. And this made it really easy for us, even easier for us to think that church is just something between me and Jesus, right? That I can just stay at home and experience church. The church doesn't require real flesh and blood people. It's been easy to fall into that thinking. So the elders, as we've been talking and praying, felt like it was really important for us to take a few weeks to let the scriptures remind us about what church is. What does Jesus say church is? What do the apostles sent out by Jesus say the church is? And why is church so important? And the passage we're going to look at this afternoon is John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. So let's go ahead and turn there in our Bibles. And while you're doing that, let me give you the context in which these verses take place. So go back to John chapter 13. And what happens there, this is during the Last Supper. This is Passover in the upper room. And Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples. And then he washes their feet to give them a picture of what leadership is and what love looks like. Very powerful, John chapter 13. Then still Thursday night from John 14 through John 16, Jesus teaches his disciples, preparing them for the fact that he is going to die rise from the dead, and then ascend into heaven. So he's no longer going to be with them personally, physically. So he teaches them to prepare them for that, chapter 14 through 16. And then in John 17, he prays. He prays for those who were his disciples right at that time, and he prays for those who will become his disciples through their preaching, through their word. And tonight, we're going to focus on this part of the prayer, where he prays for those of us who come to faith through the preaching of the apostles. That's us, includes us here. And we're going to focus on what does Jesus pray for us? Right before he goes to the cross, what does he pray for us? Start with verse 20, John chapter 17, verse 20. He's praying to the father. He says, I do not ask for these only for these who are my disciples right here, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you Father in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, loved the disciples, even as you loved me. Powerful passage. So to work our way through this passage, let's start with this question. How does Jesus pray for us? That's answered in verse 20 and the first half of verse 21. Let's start with verse 20. Again, I do not ask for these only, the disciples that are currently believing in you, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So up to this point in this prayer, Jesus has been praying for the disciples that are trusting Christ at that present time. But now he shifts to pray for those who are going to become his disciples through their preaching and the preaching of those who become disciples and and on and on. So this, he's now praying for all those who are his disciples from the first century up to this present time, all believers he's praying for. So get this, he's praying for us, Grace Church and New Life Church, and Cornerstone Church, and the Arabic-speaking church, and he's praying for his people right now, us. And what does he pray for us? What does he ask for? Read verse 20 again, and then the beginning of verse 21. I do not ask for these only, present disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. That's his heart. That's his passion. He's going to be heading to the cross. What does he pray for us? Father, make them one. Now what does that mean? We could easily think it means like organizational unity, that Christians all around the world would all be part of like the same church or the same denomination. But the rest of verse 21 shows that that can't be what Jesus means. Verse 21, let's read the whole verse. That they may all be one, and here he describes what that means. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. That shows that Jesus here is talking about relational unity. Not organizational unity, denominational unity. Notice our oneness is like the father being in Jesus and Jesus being in the father. That's a relationship he's talking about here. The father is in Jesus in the sense that the father is in Jesus' heart. Jesus loves the father, knows the father. And Jesus is in the father in the same way. Jesus is in the Father's heart. The Father knows Jesus the Son, loves Jesus the Son. The Father and Jesus have a relationship of loving unity. That's what Jesus is praying when he says, Father, make them one, loving, relational unity. So he's not talking about organizational unity across the world, where we're all part of the same church or organization. Now, of course, all churches, And all denominations who love Christ and are faithful to the scriptures should honor and love each other, right? We love the other churches that are here in Abu Dhabi who are naming the name of Christ and preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible. We're all on the same team together. We pray for each other. We are for each other. That's crucial. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about relational unity. Face-to-face, loving, relational unity. That's what Jesus prays for us, which means, a phrase I like to use often, is that church is not a meeting we attend. You can show up for a meeting and not experience church life at all. Church is a community of believers who know and love each other, care for each other, serve each other, who are one relationally. That's what church is. Let's just let this remind you. That's right. That's what church is. So think about that. Jesus is praying that we will know each other. Spend face-to-face time together. Have each other over for dinner. Weep over trials together. Rejoice over blessings together. Forgive each other. Love each other. And the list just goes on and on. That's what Jesus means when he prays, Father, make them one. Relational, loving unity. Now that's not all. Notice Jesus Jesus also prays that they may be in us. He's praying that our loving, relational unity that we have with each other would be in the Father and the Son. What does that mean? I think that means this. It means that our unity, our relationships, our friendships get their life from the Father and the Son. The life of our love comes from the Father and the Son. The, the depth of our relationships comes from the Father and the Son. It means that our relationships with each other are focused on the Father and the Son. It means that those relationships are lived in obedience to the Father and the Son and are being pursued for the glory of the Father and the Son. So we have unity with each other in the Father and the Son. There's horizontal, yes, but it's vertical, powerful vertical in the Father, in the Son, getting life from the Father and the Son, glorifying the Father and the Son. Jesus prays that they may be in us. So what would that look like? I just listed a couple things here. It means that we would worship the Father and the Son together. That's what we've been doing. Worshiping the Father and the Son together. Hearing each other's voices, and that lifts you to praise even more. And you're seeing people just meeting the Lord, exalting Him, adoring Him. We're worshiping together. It means we're being taught the Word of God together. That's what church does. That's what we're doing here. Here's the Word of God. We're learning the word of God together. It means we pray and seek God together. We share God's word together. We we share the gospel with other friends together. We rejoice in the Father and the Son together. It means that there's a vertical dimension to our love for each other. Very important. That's what Jesus prays for us. The night before he goes to the cross. Father, let them be one. Let them be one, Father we would have loving unity with each other in the Father and the Son. Now, that doesn't mean we're all going to be best friends with each other, okay? Too many people. But it means that we love everyone who's part of the church. We love everyone. It means we we have forgiven everyone. We're not withholding love from someone who maybe has crossed us in some way. We're seeking to love everyone. We're seeking to grow in knowing each other and caring for each other. We're we're wanting to have that relationship multiply and, and, and deepen even more. That's what he's praying for. But That's not all he prays for. He also prays that something will happen as a result of that oneness. So what does he pray will happen as a result of this unity? This is amazing. last line of verse 21. Read the whole verse and then look at that last line. He prays that they may all be one. He's talking to the Father, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So here's Abu Dhabi, just picture like here, right here's Abu Dhabi. I'm sorry, no, this isn't Abu Dhabi. This is Grace Church right here. Abu Dhabi's out here, okay? So Grace Church here, Abu Dhabi's out here. And Jesus is praying that we would be one, Grace Church, loving care for each other in the Father and in the Son, and that the result of us loving each other is that Abu Dhabi would believe that the Father sent Jesus. That's what he's praying for. Lord, make them one. Father, make them one so that the world will believe that you sent Jesus. Now, for Abu Dhabi to come to believe that the world sent Jesus would be massive, wouldn't it? That's exactly what Abu Dhabi needs. Everyone here needs to come to see that Jesus was sent by the Father, and Jesus is praying that we would be one so that the world would believe that the Father sent Jesus. Now, how can our love our unity, how can our, our unity and love cause Abu Dhabi to believe that the Father sent Jesus? I pondered that this week, and I think I found a, a, a helpful verse, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. See if this helps you understand how this could happen. In this verse, Paul's not talking about loving each other. He's talking about not grumbling or disputing, but I think you'll see the point. Look at what Paul says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And that would mean that, just imagine, we never grumble, we're never complaining. That would mean we're thankful, we're appreciative, we're grateful. That's, so imagine doing all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So here's what Paul's talking about. Abu Dhabi is dark with grumbling and disputing. Do you ever just listen to conversations that are happening at Starbucks when you're there? And I think the vast majority of times I hear people's conversations, it's they're grumbling about something, right? I mean, it's just so much fun to have somebody sympathize with you while you're grumbling and complaining, right? Misery loves company. And that's so many, I mean, many, 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 probably most conversations involve Grumbling and disputing. So when we don't grumble and dispute, when our conversations are thankful, appreciative, full of hope, we will shine in the darkness of Abu Dhabi like lights. Just blazing lights. It's all you got to do is just be thankful, full of hope, and grateful. In the same way, it works with love and unity. Abu Dhabi is full of broken relationships. Abusive relationships relationships. Heartbreaking relationships. And so when we have loving, Christ-centered, serving, caring, love for each other, we will shine as lights here in Abu Dhabi. Do you see how that works? That's what Jesus is praying for. When Abu Dhabi sees us, different ethnicities here, Right? Different nations, different skin colors, different jobs, different personalities, different ages. Very, just huge diversity here. I love that. And when Abu Dhabi sees people with these much differences coming together and loving each other, caring for each other, serving each other, spending time together, caring for the poor together, praying for each other, giving to each other, when Abu Dhabi sees that happening... We will shine like lights in this dark city. That's what Jesus is saying. Our love will show Abu Dhabi that Jesus is real. That he's changing our lives. That Jesus was sent from God. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the Savior. That's what will happen. And that's why Jesus prays, Lord, let them be one. So that the world may believe that you sent me. And I think about an implication of that. Just let this shape your understanding of church. This means that our Christ-centered loving unity must be seen. Not enough just to have it in your heart. No one's going to see that. It needs to be seen, visible, with real face-to-face people. For example, like when we meet here, here we are on Saturdays. This is seen now. People can see us exalting Christ together. All these different backgrounds, all these different personalities and ages and everything else. And here we are together exalting Jesus Christ. That's light in Abu Dhabi. Or think about a home group. Just home group meeting together. Again, different people coming together, giving their time to hear each other's burdens and to pray for each other, to study the scriptures together. Or if a home group goes to visit a member of their home group in the hospital to pray for them. That'll just These kinds of things are seen. The light will be shining. Have each other over for dinner, whatever it might be. Help babysit for each other, whatever it might be. Jesus prays that we'd be one, loving, Christ-centered unity so that the world would know that the Father sent Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the only way, To be saved and come to put their trust in him that's what Jesus is praying for here that's what he's praying for us as a church that's what he's praying for you oh father let them all be one now I just thought at this point if we're honest uh, we'll admit that this is not easy we can't just like nod our heads say yes 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 it's like what not easy I mean, you might feel like, uh, that's not my personality. I am an introvert. I am. (laughs) I'm an introvert. You might think I'm just too shy, I'm too timid. That's just not me. Um, It's not easy to give our time to people. We are all so busy as it is, right? It's not easy to serve those around us. That costs us. It's not easy to reach out to those who are different from us, build relationships across cultural uh, gaps. It's not easy to forgive those who hurt us. Let's just be real here, okay? This is not easy to do, especially when you pile on top of that all of our own struggles and worries and fears and guilts and sins and everything else, right? It's not easy. It can feel impossible if we're honest. What I love about this prayer is not only does Jesus pray this for us, in the next verse he tells us how it's possible. How is that kind of love possible for me? I know my heart. I know my selfishness. I know my struggles. How's this kind of love possible? So let's ask that question. How's this loving unity possible? And look at what he says in verse 22, the next verse. The glory... That you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. To give us this loving Christ-centered unity, to help us grow in this loving Christ-centered unity, Jesus gives us the glory that the Father gave him. That's what he does. So what does that mean? Just words. What what does that mean? The word glory, very important word to understand in the Bible. It's the shining forth of majesty and splendor and beauty. Glory is the shining forth of majesty, splendor, and beauty. And God the Father and Jesus God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have all equally shared in perfect glory from eternity past with no beginning. One God, three persons, equally sharing in perfect glory. So, for the Father to give Jesus glory does not mean that Jesus lacked glory. He does not lack glory. He's had perfect glory with the Father from eternity past. But what it means is that the Father has appointed Jesus as the one through whom their glory would shine most visibly. Does that make sense? By coming to earth and being born as a man, Jesus is going to make God's glory visible. He's the shining forth of God's glory. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That's why the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance, the shining forth of God's glory. That's why the book of Revelation says, says that God is the, the light and Jesus is the lamp through which that light shines. Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. In the beginning was the Word, John 1 14. And the Word was with, I'm sorry, that's John 1 1. John 1 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace full of truth. So, think about how this works. Let's just get tangible here. So, Jesus, who has always been fully God, he humbled himself to save undeserving people like us. He humbled himself. He was fully God, ruling over the universe, sovereign over everything, all infinite power, and he humbled himself to be born as a baby laid in a feeding trough. And that displays the glory of God's mercy. What God would do that? Our God. Glory. You see that? And Jesus worked miracles. John chapter 2. Remember the wedding in Canaan where Jesus turns, I looked it up, 680 liters of water into the best wine. Which shows the glory of God's power, right? Or when Jesus commands Lazarus, who's been dead for a couple of days, to rise from the grave, commands him, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus' body is revived, alive, comes forth, that shows the glory of God's authority. And then, of course, the cross, the most blazing display of glory, the cross, where Jesus is suffering on the cross, paying for the sins of all those who will trust him. And that, there he is, the God-man, God suffering on the cross to pay for our sins. That displays the glory of his love, his compassion, his grace. So Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, the radiance of the Father's glory. And God gave Jesus glory by having him come to earth as God in the flesh so we could see the glory blazing from him. With that in mind, read verse 22 again. The glory that you've given me. This is Jesus praying to the Father. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. So how does Jesus give us his glory? The Father gave it to him. It's shining forth from him. How does Jesus give it to us? It's by when God saves you, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, helps you see and feel his glory sets you free from the blinding power of your sin. So you see the beauty of Jesus, the reality of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the love, the grace, the compassion of Jesus. Remember, you see Jesus, you want Jesus more than anything else. He's giving you his glory right there. And it doesn't stop there. Throughout your life, as you spend time seeking his face, opening up the scriptures, praying, worshiping, Throughout your life, he will give you times by the Holy Spirit, Jesus will give you times where you have experiences of his glory, and you're filled afresh with joy in his power, in his presence, in his compassion, in his authority, in his promises. Hmm. And this transforms us in many ways, but one way, the way I want to focus on here is it transforms us by filling us with love for each other. That's what happens. It is impossible to behold God's glory in Christ, to be filled with his glory and not love the brothers and sisters around you. It's impossible. Here's some of the ways that that works. We've all experienced these. Think about his glory, the majesty of his power, maybe. Think about just his massive power, the power of God revealed in Jesus. His power is so far above us that it, it, it humbles us, it just destroys our pride, and pride is one of the, my biggest barriers to loving other people, and when pride is destroyed, love will increase. You've experienced that, haven't you? You're just humbled before God's glorious majesty, and, oh, what am I thinking? Just humbled, and then, and then love flows. It makes us more loving. Another way this works is when you see his glory, like especially the magnificence of his love and his care, there's times where you'll just see, He has all of my concerns and worries and fears in his hands, under his control. I have nothing to worry about. I'm free. And love flows when that freedom comes, right? (laughs) When you see his glory, just the the sheer beauty of who Jesus Christ is, in his love, in his authenticity, in his tenderness, in his justice, in his power, in his words— The beauty of all Jesus is it it fills our hearts with joy. And when our hearts fill with joy, we overflow with love for other people. So when we behold God's glory in Christ, when we feel his glory, taste his glory, understand his glory, love his glory, we're humbled, our cares are addressed, our hearts are filled, and we overflow with love. That's how it works. Picture your, your heart like a tank of water. Okay, up a up top of a, of a tower, water towers. Okay, here's here's this tank up there. And then there's this pipe coming out of it. All right, So here's your heart is a tank of water with this pipe coming out of it. Jesus is calling us to have our, our our water tanks filled with love and to have our pipes be clean so that the love will flow out to our brothers and sisters. That's just, at least that picture helped me. But now there's two problems that keep us from loving. One is our hearts can become empty, right? When you start running after the things of this world, putting your hope in the things of this world, our hearts get empty, don't they? Those can't fill you up. So our hearts can become empty. That will diminish our love. Not only that, the pipeline can become clogged with worries, fears, jealousies, bitternesses, frustrations, those kinds of things. Or when your heart is full of frustrations, no love's flowing out, man, this thing is just clogged up, right? Isn't that how it works? But God's glory takes care of both of those. As we seek him, he promises he will show us his glory. We will see his glory in the scriptures. We'll behold him. We'll love him. We'll worship him. And and that will fill our empty water tanks with love. And when we see who Jesus is with his love and care for us, that will clean out the pipeline so that our hearts are full, the water tank is full, the pipeline is clean, and the love will flow. See how that works? That's how this kind of love is possible. We will care for each other. We'll forgive each other. We'll spend time with each other. We'll serve each other. We will listen to each other. We'll pray for each other. We will love each other. We'll press in to know each other. We'll know others who are part of this church. Jesus enables us to be one by giving us his glory. But he's not finished yet. It's like he wants to make sure we really get this. Okay? So, he gives a summary. How does Jesus summarize this? Look at verse 23. I, Father, in them, and you, Father, in me. So, the Father's in Jesus. Jesus is in us. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, loved the disciples, even as you loved me. And notice how this summary breaks down into three parts. First, I, Father, in them, and you, Father, in me. What does that mean? Well, since this is how we become perfectly one, and since verse 22 says that the way we become perfectly one is by Jesus giving us his glory, I think that's the point here. God's glory, which is in Jesus, will be in us, filling us and freeing us to love. And that's the second one, that they may become perfectly one. The water tank is full, the pipeline is clear, the love will flow, will become perfectly one. That's the second part. And Then the third result, so that the world may know that you, Father, sent me. People will see that love and say, God's at work in that person. This person, God's at work in them, and they're talking about Jesus. And they'll they'll be persuaded that the Father sent Jesus, and the Father loved them, the disciples, just as the Father loved Jesus. That's what God will persuade people of as they see our loving, Christ-centered unity, relational unity. So that's what Jesus prays for us. Powerful prayer. And what does this mean for us, Grace Church? What does this mean for us? Again, I'm praying that this is going to strengthen our understanding of church. may have gotten a little wobbly, a little weak because of COVID. I'm praying that God will use this to strengthen my understanding of church, our understanding of church, and what we experience and pursue and be as a church. So let me give you four takeaways that I thought were helpful and significant. First, church is a miraculous creation of God. Church is not just a human organization or a human institution. Jesus' plan is for the church to be a miraculous creation of God with supernatural love and unity. It has a love and a unity that can only come as Jesus fills us with the very glory of God, filling us, satisfying us, cleansing us, purifying us. So we're filled with joy. Our hearts are humbled, calms our fears, and we overflow with love. And when that happens, it's like light in a dark world. It's a miraculous creation of God. Church is a miracle. Grace Church Let's become a miracle, okay? Let's be a miracle. Shining in this dark city with this supernatural love that only comes from God's glory in Christ. That's the first implication. Second, the miracle of church life will show people Jesus' reality. Abu Dhabi desperately needs to see the reality of Jesus Christ. We are surrounded by people, many of whom have never heard the gospel, Thousands and thousands and thousands of people who do not know Christ and need to be saved. Desperately need to be saved. And here Jesus says that one of the ways is by our loving unity with each other. Now we need to be speaking of Jesus. No one gets saved just by seeing something. They've got to hear it under explained, but seeing will be powerfully persuasive, Jesus prays here. And so I want to call you, give yourself to being part of a church community because that will help advance the gospel in Abu Dhabi. If you're new here, if it's not Grace Church, pick one of the other strong churches that are preaching the Bible and exalting Jesus Christ. But let's everyone, every believer in Abu Dhabi be part of church community and be living this because this will help Abu Dhabi see the reality of Jesus Christ. Third, Jesus calls us to pursue loving, Christ-centered unity with each other. I hope you hear Jesus speaking to you through these verses tonight. This is what he's calling you to do. Back then he prayed, Father, let them be one. Now he's saying, be one. Love each other. Care for each other. Serve each other. Be one. Are you experiencing being one with these brothers and sisters here? Are you experiencing that? Loving, Christ-centered unity. I mean, you're here. We're glad for that. That helps. You're here on on Saturdays. Home group is a powerful place, vital place to be pressing into that even more. Friendships taking place during the week, powerful expression of that. But are you experiencing the unity? Is, Is in Jesus' heart like, yes, you are. Or you are, but grow some more. It's probably true for all of us. We are, but let's grow some more. Let's grow in this, Grace Church. And then last, this will happen as we seek and behold Jesus' glory. An implication of these verses is that when we find that we are lacking love for our brothers and sisters or not so sure we want to to be part of home group or go to, to church, the problem is that we are not seeing Jesus' glory. That's the problem. Do you see that in this passage? Because when we do, we will. And if we don't, we aren't. Okay. Our hearts are empty. The water tank's empty. Our pipes are clogged. So what do we do? Ask Jesus to show you his glory. Seek his face. Open your Bible. Set your eyes on who he is as revealed in the scriptures. Listen to the preaching of God's word like you're doing right now. Worship God in song with brothers and sisters. Seek him to fill you, to fill you, to overflowing. He will fill us. He will meet us. He will cleanse out that pipeline. He will fill our hearts. He promises to do that. And then we will love each other and the world will know. That's our call, Grace Church. That's our call.